0: So, uh, some of you guys know a little bit about the history of Redeemer City Church. But what's kind of fun about this season right now in the life of Redeemer City is we're doing a vision series. And uh, some of you know it's kind of a little. Um, when me and Casey met, it was actually pretty random, and then um, we uh, started to bounce around the, the possibility of planting together. And one of the things that you do in terms of ever forming any sort of partnership like that, you have to lay your cards on the table pretty quickly and say, "Well, here's what I'm about. Here's how I see things playing out. Here's what I value. Here's what here's what matters to me." And it was pretty amazing how um, I don't know if there's like a, a a matching date service for church planners, but it was pretty much like we were a perfect match. It was oh my word. Okay, so this is fun uh, going through this series because this is honestly the first time we've done this as a community in terms of this setting. Um, this is what we're about. So this morning uh, we're going to be in Galatians four, talking about mission and what that means for us. So Galatians four three to seven. So here's what the apostle Paul writes. In the same way also, when we were children, we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God.
1: Our mission statement for Redeemer City Church is Seeking to Renew Our City Through the Gospel. Uh, that was really cool that Nate and myself, we, we came up with one mission statement that we felt like we needed, and, and that mission statement actually was, was big and had lots of components to it, lots of moving parts, and finally we just narrowed it down and said, you know, we, we just got to keep this really simple. We're seeking to renew this city through the gospel. Like Nate just said, we're going through a, a vision series, and so if you've been here for five minutes, you've heard us talk about gospel, community, and mission. We talk about those all the time, and and the reason why, um, like Nate preached about last week, he talked about the gospel. The gospel is central to everything we do as a church. It's gotta be be gospel-centric. It's gotta involve the gospel. It's not just about us pulling our bootstraps up and getting to work. It is about letting the gospel change our lives so that we get sent out and change the world around us. This week we're kinda skipping over community just a tad, and I say just a tad, Uh, because um, when I speak about mission this morning, there's kind of a sense where I have to talk about the gospel and I have to talk about community just as being part of the mission. So I'm probably going to steal Nate's thunder and talk a lot about the community stuff he's going to talk about next week, but it's just something that has to be done because when you talk about mission, mission cannot exist without the gospel. The gospel is central to everything we do. It is the message that that we take to the world. It's the good news that has changed our own lives. It's it's like what gives us the spring in our step and the smile on our faces and the effort that we take to get to know people and build relationships and love people and serve people. And then, of course, we've got to do that out of community as well. There's three things I want to do this morning. Is, is first, I'm going to present a practical theology for mission for you all. And then secondly, I want to talk about who's being commissioned for mission. Like whose job is it for mission? I'll just let the cat out of the bag on that one. It's, it's you, okay? It's us, that's probably a better way to put it. It's us. And the third part, present a creative way for us as a community to renew the city through the gospel, to live our lives on mission. So let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you will be with us this morning. I pray that your spirit will be present with us. I pray that the gospel would always be changing our hearts, that you would always be moving us, that you would overflow us with this good news so much that it just spills into every area of our life, our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, where we play throughout this whole city. We have quite the mission in front of us, Lord, and we need your help. We need you to do the work. So move through us, Lord, as we take this gospel to Madison and to the ends of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you had asked me 20 years ago what mission was, I would have probably had no idea. I would have not related it to anything in the church at all. I would have probably thought about Mission Impossible. I think those movies were probably popular about 20 years ago. Um, But I probably would have thought of mission only in a military term. You know, mission has got to be some secret mission or some undercover operation where you go in to capture somebody or to set somebody free. That was mission in my, my frame of mind. And, and some of you, when you think of the mission of God and what God is doing in this world, you kind of think of it in those kind of terms but maybe even like a scale down, like you think of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit like they're just, they're up in heaven and they're sitting down in the dirt like schoolboys and they're drawing up this trick play with X's and O's and lots of diagonals And, and they're really confused like, this world is a disaster. I mean, it's so full of sin, it is so lost, it is so broken, I mean, what could we possibly do to save this world? So they're trying to drop this trick play that it's going to have to be this Hail Mary to save it because there's no other way that it's going to be saved, right? Well, that's, that's not the picture that we get from Scripture. That's not the picture at all. It's not like God is sitting there like, man, what are we going to do now? Jesus, what, what do you think, man? I, I'm, I'm really, I don't, I don't know. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit confused about this. What gives me a little bit of comfort when we live my life on mission is to know that even though there's an appearance sometimes as if God is losing, as if the world is becoming more and more broken, there has always been a play that has been set in play. It is a foolproof play. This is the unstoppable... Play us this hook and ladder kind of thing that is going to throw the defense off, and there's no way that it's going to be stopped, that it's going to win. And this play was developed before the game even began. God, in his sovereignty, knew how this was going to end before it ever began. Nate just read Galatians 4, but in verse 4 it says, But when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come. I like the way the, the NIV 11 says it. He says, but when the set time had fully come. And it gives us this picture that, that when the this, this set time had fully come, like it was, it was set into the future, and, and God knew that the world was just going to fall apart around him, but he had this rescue plan, this mission that was going to take place. It was like this scene out of Braveheart where you got William Wallace just on the field, and he's got the Scots behind him, and the English are, are bearing down on him. He's telling his army to hold, 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 just waiting for this right time to set this play in motion, this mission, this rescue plan that's going to save humanity. From the beginning of time, before it ever began. So what is this mission? What happened when the time had fully come? In verse 3 it says, In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved, enslaved, we were slaves to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then an heir through God. So before this mission is is even set in place, you have us being enslaved by sin, by the elementary principles of this world, by fear. We are just slaves. And the result, the after side of this mission, is we are no longer slaves, but we are adopted as sons. We are God's own children. We are part of his family. might seem kind of weird to talk about um, us being sons because we kind of live in a culture where that's, That's not really kosher anymore, is it? Um, You've seen a lot of the translations of the Bible that have changed the the word sons to children of God um, because we were trying to make things more um, gender neutral. But let me tell you why I appreciate and love that the ESV and the NIV and a few other translations have not done this in every spot. I think there's some spots where it needed to be done. But this is so important. If you lived in the first century and you were a woman you had absolutely no rights. You were a second-class citizen. If you were a daughter, no rights. But a son, a son had rights. A son was an equal. So if you were a woman and you were hearing this gospel message that, that you are no longer slaves, but you are adopted as God's son, I mean, that had weight to it. They'd never heard anything like this before. This was, this was good news to them. The gospel just radically wrecked and changed the culture of that day. You know, there's still parts of the country, or the world that are like that. You go to the Middle East today, man, that would still be good news to them, that you have rights as a son. But I love that it even takes a little bit a step further. It doesn't say just rights as a son, but if you knew the culture of that day, it was the firstborn son that had all of the rights that would receive, receive the majority of the inheritance. And this is saying that you are not only a son, but you are an heir. There, there is something for you to come. There is an inheritance for you. And if you were a woman or even not a firstborn son, this radically changed your perspective. To be a child of God meant that you were, had the blessing of a son, that you were receiving an inheritance. We just saw in Galatians 4, that that's a rescue mission. We were enslaved, but God sent his son to rescue us, to free us. God sent his spirit into us to mark us as his own. What you see here is the Latin phrase, missio Dei, which means the mission of God. And this really is is saying that, that God in his very nature of who God is. He is ascending God. God is a missional God. God is about mission. He's not up there just sitting there like, like what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Since the beginning of time, God has been a missional God. He is ascending God. And the Missio Dei says that the Father sent the Son. The Father and the Son send the Spirit. The Father, Son, and the Spirit send us into the world. John 20, 21 Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is it. This is the mission of God. The Father sent the Son into the world to redeem us, to rescue us from slavery. The Father and Son send the Spirit into our hearts to mark us as his own. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit send us into an enslaved world where people don't even know that they're slaves to sin and the principles of this world. And we are sent to them with this good news that rescues. God is a sending God. God is a missional God. And we talk about mission. This is the, the first and foremost important thing, that God is a missional God. This is part of his very nature of who he is. He is a sending God, and he sends us. That's why we have to be a missional church. We have to live our lives with this new identity as being sent ones who live our life on mission. I know this probably seems like a daunting kind of task, task that God has sent you. And I know there's a tendency within some of us that it's like, well, no, 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 not me. You don't understand. I took a spiritual gifts inventory a few years ago, and evangelism was like way down here. Like gifts of prophecy was the lowest, and then evangelism. I mean, it's, it's that low, so not me. That's for the people that are gifted and evangelists, maybe in the top three of their gifts inventory or, you know, for the pastors, make Nate do it. He's paid for goodness sakes. Make him, I, I don't have to do it. Send Nate. Not me, God. I, I say that all the time, probably once a week. Not me, God, Nate. <laughs> so we kind of think of mission that way, like, well, I don't have the gift set to be able to do that. Not me. God, God, you don't know what's going on inside of me. I don't have these kind of gifts to be able to live my life on on mission. But here's the cool thing about God, and maybe this isn't cool if, if you really want to rest in what I just told you was the wrong thing to say, but it seems like God often chooses people who are unqualified for what he's calling them to do. It's just what he's always done. You look at Scripture and, and Abraham, who he calls to, to make his people Israel out of, he goes into cities and he's like, oh no, the Sarah lady, she's my sister, okay? Um, we're, we're just related. She's not re- really my wife because he was afraid of what the authorities might do to him because apparently his wife was attractive. He not only did that once, he did that twice. That is Father Abraham. And then you have Jacob who deceives his father Isaac to receive his brother Esau's blessing. And then he's infatuated with this girl Rachel and works for her father for 14 years just to be able to marry this girl. Then you have Moses who says, no, 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 God, not me. Not me, God, I can't speak. Send somebody else over and over again. He says, just choose somebody else, not me. But yet Moses, through God's power, leads Israel out of slavery in Egypt, foreshadowing what we just read in Galatians. Then you have people like David, who was the greatest king that Israel had ever had, yet committed adultery, and then murdered the lady's husband. You have Jesus' own disciples. Uh, More than half of them are a zealot, a tax collector, a trader, fishermen, people unqualified for the work that God was calling them to do. Then you have the apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was more educated than anybody on that whole list that I just read. I mean, just just an amazingly smart guy. Wrote half of the New Testament. Just one little problem. He persecuted and killed Christians. He's got that on his resume. God constantly calls people who are unqualified. Why would he do such a thing? Because if you're not qualified for what he's calling you to do, then you have to work through his power and his glory will be shown in the world because you're not qualified to do what he's calling you to do. I think I'm standing up here as somebody who's qualified to do. Well, I hope I'm qualified in some aspects, right? But man, if you would have told me 30 years ago that I was going to stand up and preach in front of people, I would have probably moved to Canada at that point, all right? That was not something that was on my radar, anything that I wanted to do, like standing up in front of people, no way. Like that was probably my biggest fear. I would have rather ate a snake than to stand up in front of people and, and preach. But God calls people who are unqualified so that his glory might be shown in this world. I love the example, one of my former pastors used to say when, when uh, one of, his son is, is one of my friends, his name is Alex, and he said that one time he had uh, one of his elders over and they were doing some work on the car and his son, and my boys do this sometimes too, you know, go get their little plastic toolbox kind of thing and his son gets out there and he takes out his little hammer and he's like hitting on the wheels of the car and something like that and and he's thinking in his head like man I hope my my son doesn't you know get in the way of this work I'm trying to do because he's not really helping or anything and his elder says Larry this is this is a perfect picture of how God works through us We, we we work so hard and we think we're doing so much good but in reality he's doing all the work and he just enjoys our company and the work that he's doing It is true, you are absolutely unqualified for what God might be calling you to do. But you aren't qualified so that his glory might be shown in the world. Makes it a little bit easier, doesn't it? Maybe not. So God is a sending God who sends us out into the world. We are called to mission, every single one of us. I love these words from 1 Peter 2. Verses 9 and 10, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Okay, you are his possession. You are his children. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I mean, bottom line, if that's all you're talking about is like, Wow. Let me just tell you about how amazing my God is. You know, I I once was a slave, and I'm I'm not a slave anymore. I'm a child, and I'm an heir to the kingdom. I once had received no mercy at all, but now I have received mercy. If that's all that you're telling people, I mean, you could just start there. Just tell people how much God has done in your own life and live that out. Proclaim the excellencies, excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light, and let that light be known into this world. So we are called to mission. No matter what our gift set is, no matter how low evangelism is on that scale, everyone who calls himself a Christian is called to mission. We're called to God's mission. But hopefully this might give you even a little more hope in this, is that we're, we're not called to live on mission in isolation. Don't think that you have to just go out there and stand on the street corner um, that it may have its place, but we are called into a community, and as a community, we live on mission. We live on mission together, and I'm going to kind of unpack that for you in this, this next point. Like, what does this look like? First of all, from Scripture, you can get that Jesus sent uh, pairs. Like, whenever he sent people, he didn't just say, okay, Peter, you go to this nation. He always sent people out in pairs. If you read the New Testament, you read Acts, and you read Paul's letters, you will see that Paul always planted churches in teams of people. There was was a community that took place. There was always teams of people that were left behind in order to disciple people in that. It is a community project for us to live on mission in community together. And you'll have to rewrite your sermon after I finish this point, by the way, because I'm going to talk a lot about community. So, Being that this is a vision statement, let me just kind of just take a short break and just tell you like exactly what what does that look like for us as Redeemer City Church? What does that look like for us to live our life on mission? Because there are so many different ways that we could do evangelism in this culture. And I'm not saying that any one of those is wrong, but let me just say like what we've decided is going to be our kind of track of how we live on mission. So a few things we could do, and we tried this in the beginning. We could do a class like uh, Alpha or Christianity Explored where we just invite a bunch of people in who who are far from God. And we just do this apologetic kind of class. Um, But there's a few problems with with doing something like that. When we do something like that, first of all, you kind of blanket statement everybody that's in the room of where they're at and just assume like, okay, this is where people are at. Uh, This is where people need to go, and oftentimes you get people that are in absolutely completely different places and have completely different beliefs. And then it also just kind of makes it more about an event than actually an everyday kind of mission where where you're out there in the world building relationships. If we are to do on the other side of that, if we are on the flip side to build those kind of deep relationships, then you know where people are at from the start. You know what their hangups are. You know what their walls are that are keeping them from hearing the gospel and letting them sink in in their lives. You know, we could do uh, street corner evangelism. You know, we could take a, a blowhorn out there and, and tell people that they're sinners, which would be true, right? I mean, we're all, we're all sinners. Um, but again, like something like this, it makes it too much about an event, It makes it like, okay, I'm going to take a break from what I'm doing, and I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to do this event where I'm going to do evangelism for a few minutes. And one of my problems, like, I've down in uh, Florida where I lived for 20 years, we had a lot of people that did evangelism. And these would be the kind of people that would come into your ministry or come into your church and would just kind of rip apart what you were doing a little bit and be like, man, we got to get out there on the street corners. But what I typically saw in the people's lives that were doing something like this is they would go out there, and they would kind of puff themselves up because they would be persecuted for doing street corner evangelism, and then they would withdraw into their own houses and close their doors, and nobody in their neighborhoods knew who they were. Street corner evangelism has its place. I'm not saying that you should never preach the gospel or share the gospel with somebody that you don't know, because there might be a time where God calls you to do that. But what I want to tell you is that we have to live out mission in every day wherever we are in everyday kind of things you live it out all the time i'm not making this any easier right the longer i go the more difficult this mountain seems to become doesn't it living out the mission every day in every part of our lives i think the problem with thinking through this lens is like it really does seem a little more attractive to do a street corner evangelism where we could just kind of fit it in our schedules. Be like, okay, Friday night, next week, we are gonna do evangelism, okay? We live in a culture that just calls for stuff like that. Just tell me when I have to do evangelism. I mean, that sounds attractive. It kind of reminds me of, of our blender, okay? This is gonna be a weird illustration, I'll just tell you right off the front. We have a blender, we have this really nice ninja blender. Anybody have a ninja blender? They're pretty awesome. Okay, but we hardly ever use it. The thing is collecting dust. And we have it in our pantry up in like a top shelf in the back. And this really nice blender rarely ever blends anything. Sometimes we we get it down and we'll make milkshakes or something like that. But then we clean it off and we put it back into our closet again. This is kind of like how we do evangelism sometimes. It is so much easier To just pull that blender out whenever we feel like having a milkshake and then doing and then putting it away and i don't have to think about it at all i don't have to think about evangelism it's tucked away on the back shelf of my pantry and i don't have to do it again until next month the second friday of the month and then i'll get it out and clean it off again some of you do a really good job with this some of you are are blending families not blended families although um I wish we had more blended families in this culture. Our, our church should reflect what our culture is out there. But blend, blender families, blending families, I think that's what I said the first time. Some of you are blending families. Like you blend so much that that blender just lives on your counter. You can think of all kinds of creative things to do with this blender. I mean, it's just sitting there. I mean, just think of the possibilities of things we could blend, right? My problem is getting out the blender is just a lot of work. And sometimes I won't even do it on the Friday every month because it's just a lot of work to get that out. We need to be a culture and a church. Like if we really wanna see Madison renewed by the gospel, That means we live every single day of our lives on mission, wherever we are, even in the mundane things, even in the simple things. Getting a haircut, for goodness sakes, is being in the mission field. Going to the grocery store, for goodness sakes, is being in the mission field. Working at Epic, wherever you are, you are called to live on mission. You know, when we moved from Florida to come up here, we... Began to like pinpoint houses that we wanted to look at, and I would fly up here, and my realtor, who was my sister, my realtor would look at me and say, uh, "Every house that you want to look at is sold. So what do you want to do?" And I was like, "Well, I don't want to keep buying plane tickets to come up here and not see houses that I wanted to see." So we were back in Florida, and we're looking at houses, and we found this house that was up there um, online, and we looked at each other, and we're like. Let's just put in an offer. I mean, I know all we have is pictures here, um, but let's just put in an offer and let's just pray and trust God in this. And one thing we prayed for is that God would put us next to people in our neighborhood that needed the gospel. That was one thing we prayed about. We didn't pray about like, oh Lord, please help the basement not be as 70s as it looks in the pictures. That was not our prayer request. Our prayer request was put us next to neighbors who need the gospel. This is such a cool thing to see this developing. Like When we moved in, um, I'm not going to use any names of our neighbors because I hope that they come here one day and you will meet some of our neighbors and some of you know our neighbors already because we invite them into community. But one of our neighbors, um, somebody, when we were moving in, they came up to introduce themselves and they heard that I was a pastor and like threw his head back like that. like I thought he was going to have to go to the hospital and get one of those braces to put around his neck come to find out he is an atheist who supports freedom from religion and he's our our next door neighbor and we share our our yards together closer than any other neighbor and that was awesome because this is someone who has been um, burned and hurt by the church and has had bad relationships with christians and what people do sometimes when they don't know jesus is they put these walls like way out here and they won't let the gospel penetrate it because they have all of these things that they keep out here. And you have people in your lives that do this as well. They put up these walls that are out here. And so first thing is is like all Christians are hypocrites. Oh man, now I'm getting to be friends with my neighbor, and he seems like a legit guy. Like that barrier is gone. The next one is like all Christians are are crazy lunatics that are all about just hanging out inside of their churches and don't do anything in this community. Oh man, this church serves the community. That wall's broken down. And, Slowly but surely, we've been able to penetrate in on this guy who hates the church, hates Christians. Um, we're, having, we're supposed to have a movie night on Monday night. We've been to see many movies together. we will see the Packer game together a while ago. And I don't want you to think like he is like right there to accepting Christ. He is still like a marathon away from accepting Christ. If you, Well, man, I can't share names. I wish I could. Um, but some of you know who I'm talking about. But here is someone that God like, purposely put us in the neighborhood, and, and you could move into a situation like that and go, "Lord, what are you doing here? They're atheists, so I'm going to avoid that neighbor over there and focus on like what would be an easier what would be an easier house to live on mission with?" I have another neighbor, um, neighbors that are going through marriage problems right now. We haven't seen the wife, and um, I'm just looking for an opportunity to be able to speak into his life and like, say, "Hey, man." I'm a pastor, you know, you guys could come talk to me. I would love to talk to you and help you through this. Or if you don't want to talk to me, I'll let you talk to Nate. Not me, God, Nate. Let Nate do it. (laughs) I have another neighbor down the road who lost her husband last year, um, who's a widow. And for the first six months, like she couldn't even look me in the eye because she felt like my God had let her husband die. We have a relationship now. But God has put us places not by accident. I think it's so easy to think about that, like, oh, the neighborhood, it's just it was just cheap. That's why we're there. God has put you around all kinds of people that don't know who Jesus is, that have no idea the saving power of the gospel, and God has put you there, not by accident. So, what does this look like in your own life? What does this look like? You know what I'm going to say. I'm just going to keep making this more and more difficult for you. It means that those college kids that live next door to you, that crank their radio, that have parties that keep you up late when you have to work the next morning, God puts you next to them for a purpose. It means the people that you work next to, the gym that you go when you work out next to people, God has put you in specific places around this city to build a relationship with people that don't know Jesus. God does not do this by accident. All right. Let me look through my pages here to see if I have any good news coming up for you guys. Thanks, Nate. appreciate it. When we think about living on mission and, um, you know, in your neighborhoods within your families. Some of you have been put in a family where nobody else knows Jesus. That wasn't by accident. We think about our families, we think about our workplaces, we think about our hobbies, we think about our fun things that we like to do, the places that we hang out. There is a reason that we are there, but let me just stress this again. This is not a Lone Ranger project. This was meant to be done in community. You don't have to do this alone. Invite some other people. You know another Christian in your workplace? Invite them to do things with you that you invite other people from your workplace to do stuff with. We have a neighborhood party. Invite other people from the church to go with you. Invite somebody from your city group. Invite community to be involved with your mission because you never know what's going to happen. We do an Ultimate Frisbee thing over the summertime, and, and more than half of our team is non-Christian, and there's just certain times where this person invited this person, but this person connects with this person who's a Christian and invites them to go do something else, and you watch this happen, and you're like... That's why you do mission and community right there. But it also lets them peer into the Christian community because the Christian community is different than any other community on the face of this earth. You know, in Acts Acts 2, if you want to know how the early church exploded, Acts 2 says it really well. Um, I don't have this one on here, so I'm going to read it right here. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching into the fellowship to the breaking of bread added to their number day by day those who were being saved the explosion of christianity and everything that comes out there you look at those verses and like what is the theme here what happens more than anything they lived in community they were together all the time they yeah they went to the temple and and they preached together they ate meals in each other's homes together they broke bread together they gave Uh, They brought their possessions together and sold them and gave together. It was just a community project. They lived their lives in community. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved because people had never seen a community like that ever in their entire lives. This is what could happen if we are living our lives like this in community. The Lord adds to the number daily to those who were being saved saved. All right, let me try to land this plane a little bit. I have a little diagram to come up here because you're probably thinking in your head, like, what, what, what does this look like? Does, are, we, are we supposed to live in community? Are we supposed to share the gospel? Um, what does this look like? And this is really helpful. This is from the book Total Church, Steve Timmis, and um, um, totally forgetting the other guy's name, but he is just as important as Steve Timmis. Tim Chester. Tim Chester and Steve Timmis, and we've used this in some of our like evangelism mission kind of training before, but think about these three things as a rope. You are taking each one of these individual things as a twine, and you're wrapping them together. I mean, which do you do first? Do you work on building relationships? Do you share the gospel? Do you introduce people into community? It's all of those things. They're all part of the same rope, and there might be sometimes that you do one thing over the other, but these are three things that we constantly need to be doing as a community. Building relationships, really important. Inviting people into community, sharing the gospel. Which one do you do first? None of them. There, there, there's no number system. There's no one, two, three on this. They are, they are one together, and sometimes you might do one, sometimes you might do another, but this is what we do together. And they said in Total Church, none need to be first, nor need progress be made in one area before you can move on to any of the others In reality, any one of these three can occur first, and all three can sometimes begin to happen simultaneously. If one strand is missing, then in God's sovereign plan, the rope can still hold, but it is stronger when all three are present. Mission is a community project. We invite people into the community that we already have. We share the gospel by loving and serving our our city. We build relationships with those um, that are far from God. One of the main um, vehicles that we do this through is, is our city groups. If you've been a part of our city group, and I know that probably 80% of our people that are in this room and part of our church are involved with a city group because our city groups are bursting out the seams, and we just launched another one. But one of the best ways we can do mission is, is through our city groups. We're not mercenaries that just go out there. We're not lone rangers. We are a community that lives on mission. So what we do in our city groups is each one of our city groups has an individual focus of where we are gonna serve. Um, So one of the ways that we love the city is just by serving them. What a great way for us to be known and the gospel to be known by, wow, that group of people, man, they serve and love me well. They are constantly out there just serving in our community. They are making a difference. We love that they are in our community. I might not like what they do, but man, I can't help but love that they serve and they love us well. Each one of our city groups has this individual focus, but then also in each one of these city groups, every single person that comes in there has different relationships. You might work in a different place. You probably have a different family unless you go with a sibling. Um, You hang out in, in different places. You have all of this network of relationships that differ from everybody else in your city group. So what better way to invite people into that kind of community? Let me just give you some other practical ways, and then I'll, I'll close this up. Just some practical ways that we can live on mission in the city. Throw a party. Do a, do a cookout. Invite your neighbors, invite some people from this community, and do that as well. Serve together, like I just mentioned. We do this thing called six-pack and brew, which in most parts of the country, they would frown upon that of actually drinking beer, but Madison is a beer culture, so we're gonna step in, and we're gonna redeem beer for the glory of God and show people that you can have one or two beers with, without getting drunk, right? That you can actually use it for God's glory. So we invite these guys in. What an easy way. There, we have so many men who have stepped into that before they would ever step foot in this church. Just come and drink a beer with us. We have Wickwack, which um, is also involved with alcohol for some reason, but wi- women, <laughs> In community, wine and chocolate is what that stands for. Now, raise your hand if you came up with that. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> we play ultimate Frisbee in the summertime. I don't know if you knew this or not, but we had two teams that played out of this church that we set up that the, the leaders of both of these Frisbee teams were in this church, but yet more than half of the team was people who are far from God and don't go to a church currently. Hopefully, next year, we'll have three ultimate Frisbee teams. We do picnics in the parks. You know, We live in a city where there are so many free, fun things to do. I mean, we have the farmer's market, we have a lake community, Dane dances, concerts in the square, food trucks, ultimate frisbee, hiking, riding bikes, the union. In the fall, we have apple picking, the pumpkin patch, carving pumpkins, friends giving, uh, the winter sledding, ice skating, skiing, tubing, snowshoeing, cross country skiing, soup potlucks, Christmas parties. There's just so many fun things to do in the city. And one of the ways that we can actually reach this culture and build relationships is just by inviting people in while we do these fun things. Do them as a community. Invite others as you're building relationship to come along too. You know, in our culture, um, most people are attracted to the gospel community before they're attracted to the gospel message. Um, we have one shining example of that. Um, Kelly, who was baptized last weekend, if you were here, Kelly came to our church originally because she worked at Starbucks with Nate in Fitchburg. And um, I'm debating how much of the story I actually want to tell because this is a story that, that you need to tell sometime. Um, but Kelly uh, came. She was dating a, a guy named Dylan, and you know we helped them move. Um, neither one of them were Christians. We just invited them to be a part of our community, and and our one city group that we had at that time. Um, Dylan had a difficult time and they went through some really bad things and we just embraced Kelly through that process and there were so many people that came alongside and loved Kelly that she was part of this community for a year and a half just because she loved this community. She didn't know Jesus. She was interested in, in Jesus, but she was interested in Jesus because of the way that we loved and served as a community. Of course, this summer, all of a sudden, all the puzzle pieces started coming together for Kelly. And she's like, "I want to follow Jesus." Then of course, if you're there last Sunday, she was baptized every single person that we baptized was a complete blessing, but to see a journey from Kelly, who was someone who did know Jesus. The Christian language was a foreign language to her. She'd never heard it in her entire life. She had never spent time in her church. Her family didn't spend time in the church, and now she knows and loves Jesus and wants to live her life for Jesus. That's why we live life in community. That's part of the mission right there, so that people's hearts And their lives can be redeemed by this good news of the gospel, this gospel that goes in to people who are slaves to their sin and it adopts them as their own son. It frees them from that slavery. It invites them to something that is so grand and so great that they've never experienced in their life, and it brings them into this community of people that have all been redeemed by this good news of this gospel. So that's why mission is so important to us. First of all, in God's very nature, he's a sending God, he's a missional God who sent his son to rescue us, sent his spirit to be with inside of us to adopt us as his own and sends us into the lost world even though we're not capable so that he might be glorified in that. And hopefully one day we will see God, the city of Madison renewed by this good news of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, First of all, we want to thank you that you are a missional God, that you are a God who sends, that even though we were lost in our own sin, that you sent your son to rescue us. Father, we thank you for your rescue mission. We thank you for the way that our lives have changed because of this good news. Father, we also praise you for this community that you're growing here in the city of Madison. Father, we ask that you continue to knock down walls that, that keep us from loving each other and serving each other well, that we might see that we are a family that does life together and lives this mission out together as a community. So Father, we pray for this city that you have put us in. We pray for our neighbors that you have put us next door to. We pray for the people that we work next to. We just pray that you will give us boldness, that your Holy Spirit is power, it is dynamite, and your good news of the gospel is extremely good news we pray that you will give us the boldness to step into those relationships and just tell people how amazing you are. Father, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.